Welcome to the Be In Cyber podcast. I'm Rosie Anderson, and the idea of this podcast is to show you what it's like to actually be in cyber. I want to showcase the diverse range of careers, tell you some stories of people who already work in the industry and the path that they've trodden, so that whether you want to be in cyber or whether you want to get on in cyber and aren't sure what's next for you, hopefully there'll be some interesting stories shared. My very first guest is Eliza May Austin from That Security Company, so let's hear what she's got to say. Hey, Eliza. Welcome to the Be In Cyber podcast. You're my very first guest. Um, I'm sure everybody knows who you are, but just in case, who are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm Eliza Austin. I'm the CEO of that security company and the subsidiary brand Pocket Seam. So some people have heard of one and not the other. It's the same company. Yeah, that's me. Ask me anything. Okay, so tell me about your career. Um, I think we first met at an OWASP meetup in London years and years and years ago I think you were quite heavily involved in that community and I knew I always think of you as an amazing AppSec engineer but tell me about your career journey and sort of where you started. So I am not by no stretch of the imagination an amazing AppSec engineer at all but it was a blind spot for me uh, application security uh, you know application penetration testing that kind of thing which is how I got involved with turning up to OWASP and doing some of their platform that their open source platforms online so I've definitely got passable skills <laughs> but I'm not not by any means that second engineer so I come from a background in digital forensics so that's what I did at uni and that's what I sort of incorporated into my first few roles in cyber defense you know found it very boring so really took to getting into more corporate environments and looking at you know hands-on defense like looking at firewalled scenes vulnerability management getting involved in pen testing all that kind of stuff didn't find that my I mean obviously my degree is coming a lot of it's coming very handy but I didn't find that I fell in love with digital forensics and then took it throughout my career and I'm still doing it now certainly not but I think that's kind of nice because it just shows how easy it is to pivot within cybersecurity if you're willing to be the dumbest person in the room and learn from scratch I think, I think that's, I think it's quite an important thing for people to realise that you do a degree, even starting to think, well, what the hell do I want to do at uni? I mean, what made you decide to do a degree in cyber? Were you always kind of very technical in school? Were you interested in IT or what made you pick that? So I was doing forensic science at uni in London and very quickly realised it was, you know, I thought I was going to be like, digging up bodies and like sniffing for blood (laughs) maybe not (laughs) some sort of bloodhound um but quickly within my first year realized it's all chemistry it's all methodology and all kinds of different stuff and I didn't enjoy it realized the people that had graduated from that degree course were working in factories pumping out aspirins and paracetamols didn't want to do it so we thought, what can I do? And I thought, I'll try something else to do forensics. I kind of like computers. Fuck it, why not? I'll go do that. If I'd have known now how hard it is, <laughs> I would that wouldn't have even been a thought that I entertained. So it's probably a good thing that I didn't really know much about the industry. I wasn't involved in cybersecurity at all. I just thought, well, I like the idea of forensics. I like working with computers. I'll just do that. Um, 
the course had already started I was really cheeky I rang the course director and I was like I know he started a couple of days ago but can I get on and he was like well no uh, and I was like please and just really really cheeky hassled him a bit and he was like all right fine call this person in admissions and I did and then I ended up getting into this this course um so you engineered your way in <laughs> you were meant to be a social engineer yeah <laughs> absolutely loved it genuinely did but a lot of it was really 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 dull there was forensics there's not that many people that are really good in digital forensics and I think it's because it's you do have to be a lifelong learner I know we all say that but you genuinely do it's you have to keep ahead of the trend and be thinking okay this is a new technology that's out how could people be exploiting it for crime you have to be in the weeds there is no role in digital forensics that's like an advocate or a you know um a spokesperson for it's you either do digital forensics or you fucking don't you do something else and it's very hard and it's very you've got to have your nose in your screen in a book constantly and I didn't enjoy that aspect of it and I feel like I've evolved out of it whereas some people evolve deeper into it if that makes sense so there's some people I know that are like 50 they're amazing at digital forensics and they've gone from being you know working with Active Directory and working with Windows machines all the way down to like working with like particular applications on mobile phones and stuff like that very very niche area and it's kind of cool but not not for me I think it's a very specialist industry like you say you don't dabble same as threat intelligence you don't get a junior job as a threat intelligence analyst there's very few junior digital forensics junior roles it's a high risk job if you get it wrong I mean I've made mistakes I don't know if I've told you before about I've definitely said, said this on a podcast before I'd had a glass of wine and the next day I was like oh shit I admitted that and now I'm just like fuck it like years ago I had one of my first jobs in cybersecurity, and it was they were like we really want to use digital forensic skills and I was like yeah awesome I'm all about that shit and then like a few weeks in I had this case to work on and you have an evidence drive and then you have a drive that's completely empty and you're supposed to copy the evidence drive onto the empty drive obviously so that you're working on a copy yes but I did the right blocker the wrong way around and copied a blank disc over the evidence <laughs> thankfully it wasn't I wasn't working for the police or anything like that so it wasn't like some paedophile got away with murder or whatever I was like, just <laughs> that's exactly where my brain just went I love that we're both that dark I was like there's some paedophile somewhere we're like thank god <laughs> thank for that god girl that <laughs> um yeah no so it was it was it was fine um and we we managed to sort of work around it but I was like sat there for a good 10 minutes staring at it thinking I don't know I'll just tell my boss that I've done it <laughs> yeah now that is a learning that is a learning journey did they take it well yeah 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 it was more like how stupid can you be you're an idiot you have a degree in this and I was like oh no oh sorry um and I just felt like such an idiot that after that everything I did I like triple checked it so yeah I definitely I, I learned from it it was it's a funny story I think it's a funny story there was no harm done it wasn't like a criminal investigation case or anything like that it was um it was a small thing I think there's go- everybody starting out is going to have those learning experiences in recruitment there's so many times 
that somebody will do something that's a basic mistake and then you'll never ever do that ever again because you'll you'll have that fear of feeling like that idiot again but it's you know anyone starting out in a sock's going to make mistakes anyone starting out in any role you've got to be in that comfortable environment where you can say um help help me <laughs> well I was like I was like oh I'm fine it's fine I'll, just, I'll plug that in there I know I'll plug that in there I'll press that button done bing bish bash bosh went and got a coffee and had my dinner break came back and realized what was happening <laughs> I was like I can't just pull it out now because it's midway through but yeah that was absolutely yeah humiliating <laughs> it is what it is. yeah <laughs> so you started out forensics and then Tell me the rest of the journey. I know you, you went to work in a sock for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I um, worked internal. Then I went to work in a sock because I realised that I was I was getting good and um, understanding particular environments. So when you go and work at a particular company, you have to learn about the business, which you absolutely should, and how what you're doing applies to the business, applies to the threat landscape of the business and all this kind of stuff all those lovely buzzwords but when you work at an MSSP you have to turn that on its head and the priority becomes you know, various other things I mean I, now I real now that I run a business I understand that the priority is bottom line and the priority is like customer retention and all that kinds of shit but from my perspective then the priority was about security rather than about like the business and I really needed to do that just to sort of get myself out of my comfort zone and go and do a ch- something challenging and it is because you you when you're working in a soccer and MSSP. So I went in as a, a senior engineer, and which was great. I really enjoyed it. So I was working on projects and all that kinds of shit. But I was also working on like senior SOC escalation. So you have these analysts all have you know like fifteen to twenty different customers that are all completely different. They can't apply any business context, and they're getting um, you know alerts from from them all. And they have to try and understand what's going on. They've got their boss bus shouting down their neck that they've got a 15 minute SLA. It's all just very like, ugh, I didn't enjoy it. I mean, I did, but I, I don't, I didn't like how it was run. But I also learned so much there of what not to do that when I started a business, I implemented those things. And that's also where I met my business partner as well. So yeah, and that's not that particular company. That's just how MSSPs run. And they're, they're not built for security. Although I went in there with a misconception that it was because I didn't really understand it. They are built for being a money-making machine more than anything. Um, we sort of have taken inspiration from that and done what we've done. At some point, I am going to ask you, though, which probably is a nice point to lead on to, why you set up TSM. But we'll go through the rest of the journey first. So from there, you went into instant response. Yeah, so I all I think pretty much everything that I was doing was instant response. Um, but I went into a role that was titled incident response, where you would go, you were used as a consultant to go into different companies as an incident responder. Didn't really enjoy it. Didn't didn't work for there very long. Didn't really like the culture. And I did this a similar sort of role, but somewhere else. Um, after that, but that particular role, I learned a lot about the fact that running a business is equally as about people. So I really wanted to work at this particular company. They don't exist anymore, but I really wanted to work at that particular company left a job I liked to go to it and something that put me off on my first day was you know one cubicle unisex toilets on every floor so just one cubicle <laughs> so not just one unisex just one one cubicle toilet that was unisex with no tampon bin oh okay and 
there was hardly any women that worked there but the women that did work there used to go across the road oh wow at the time of the month that kind of thing and I was just like wow I'm not fucking dealing with this is stupid and when I when I raised it it was like oh Oh, wow a women's issue yeah yeah so I like it was literally like my first day I thought oh no this is I've probably made a mistake here tried to make the most of it but yeah it just became a thing it just it just became a thing well it's going to be a thing every month isn't it let's be honest (laughs) it's gonna it's gonna be a constant reminder of right off the office like right off the office toilet cubicle there so everyone knows when you've gone in Mm. so like in a lot of companies you get up to go I can't even talk about pissing but um, or shitting what you get up to go to the toilet you leave the office room you could be going for coffee a cigarette you could be going to the toilet but it's like you stand up you definitely go to the toilet and everyone can see it like when you're a woman taking your handbag in there as well you just kind of like oh god I don't want to have to think about I'm sure nobody cares but I don't want to have to think about this yeah Um, and you've raised a really important point there businesses will say how do we hire more women that you know that's uh, you've actually written an amazing article on it with advice practical advice on how to hire more women Uh, that's something that man wouldn't think about probably not I don't know it was it's really weird there was you know a couple of senior leaders that were female there and I was thinking why I don't know why this is the thing like why all these well few women in the office are just totally making do with this it was don't expect them to go and change offices or build a new toilet or anything like that but it's like I don't know at least put some tampon bins in there or what a topic <laughs> well, I know I wasn't expecting it to go there but <laughs> hey that's the idea of the podcast was that when you set up Ladies Hacking Society around about that time yeah it's actually yeah I don't know if that was inspired by Michael <laughs> so I did um, around yeah around this time I was attending different events so like I said to you before if you know I could think I lack skills in AppSec so my development background is when I've been forced to do it so I've never like got enjoyment out of it so it's definitely a blind spot for me which is why I never work on any projects to do with like AppSec or web application penetration tests or anything like that someone else does it um so with that being a blind spot you know why not spend your evening going to a no-wasp event and learning about it from people that know more than you kind of nice but mm-hmm. I did find that I was going to these different events, not OWAS, it's always been great, but I've been going, I was going to these different events and um, meetups and stuff. And a lot of the time I was the only woman, never a problem, genuinely never something that's ever bothered me. Um, but I did have a couple of really weird experiences. Once I got followed on the tube and I had someone sat next to me and he was like really, really weird. And just, I was like, oh, are you going in the same direction? He was like, no. I was like, all oh, right, okay, this is a bit uncomfortable. But, I, you know, not malicious. I think he just had issues. But it was, I was thinking, God, why am I happy? I don't have to deal with this. I just wanted to go and learn about, like, Akamai or whatever it was at the time. And and then another issue I've spoken about before on a podcast with, I, I went to a Kubernetes 101 event because I was at a company that did Kubernetes. It was just sort of gaining momentum. And I thought, well, I really need to go and learn about this. It was an event 101. I'm going to go. Had a horrible experience um where I was the only woman and this guy this American guy was like oh my god what do you do with Kubernetes and I was like oh nothing I don't actually work with it but my company started using it I was like oh my god you don't know how to use Kubernetes and he was like guys she doesn't know how to use Kubernetes like that. And I was like oh my god this is fucking awful so I ended yeah I ended up with like these guys like 
throwing technical questions at me wait in the waiting area waiting to go into a Q&A oh, wow. 101 session and I was like this is awful so I grabbed a pizza and I grabbed a bottle of wine off the side I was like fuck this like <laughs> and I stormed out and this is where Ladies Hacking Society was formed <laughs> well I'll tell you something I don't know how long we've got but this is just really funny so I stormed out and it was in the evening and there was like nobody there was nobody there to like let me out you know you have those turnstiles that are like yeah glass things you scan your badge and then they go and open well I always think they're gonna cut me in half so I didn't have a badge and there was no security there so I was like I'm gonna have to climb over so I had a pizza in one hand a bottle of wine in the other Quite started to climb over. I'm five foot one. I got my butt crack stuck, so I was dangling with my legs dangling with a pizza in with one hand in this. Anyway, and I was like, oh god! So I was like, hell, hell, like this. And the same guys that I just had that issue with came around the corner and saw me dangling <laughs> by my butt crack on this glass turnstile. And one of them just laughed and just pointed up at this giant green exit sign. Oh no. Like yes. a button. And a sign under it that said, these turnstiles are currently being installed and are not in use. So I was just hanging there for no reason. Oh. Yes. So I, I shuffled, didn't help me. I, I was nice. Shuffled my way off, went out of the open door that was right in front of me and rang my mum, laughing my head off and said, I think I've just ruined my life and <laughs> my career. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so off the back of that, I thought, well, I'll attend some women's events. I thought they were all crap. Quite pers- personally, I didn't enjoy them. They were all about the human element of cybersecurity. They were all about soft skills, all about every, every single woman that ever got on stage on any of these things stood there and went, I just want to shoot the misconception. Like, you don't have to be technical to be a cyber. And you think, yeah, but some women are technical and some women want to be technical. So there needs to be something for that. And it was it was almost as if, oh, there's this techie nerdy stuff all the guys do, and then we'll do this we'll play at it and I didn't like it and I didn't like where the industry was going from a female perspective so I decided to create a technical event for women um primarily men could come along but I wanted it to be like the I wanted to turn the tables from it being all men at an event and the occasional woman to all women at the event and then men could come along if they fancied it if they had nothing to do that night so that's um that you know that's the way it went it was incredibly technical and we did um you know follow along tutorials building labs penetration testing digital forensics phone hacking all kinds of stuff it was great i can remember those events there was loads of women in tech events and it was all it's okay women tech doesn't have to be technical you could be a project manager or you can be there's no wrong with those jobs there's nothing wrong with those jobs but that's not the message like there's nothing it's awesome like we need we need salespeople, we need recruiters, we need people that are going to, you know, I think it opened the door to a lot of charlatans and I think it closed the door on a lot of women that genuinely wanted to progress in technology. They felt like, well, this space, this women in technology space isn't for me. And they either stayed at home and didn't do it or they went to the, the men's events and then they got to benefit from having those women there, I guess. So, You know, you get asked, why do you need women's events? You need somewhere where people can learn without being not, not all men, but mansplained to and hit on or anything else that goes on. Um, or followed on the tube, yeah. Or followed on the tube, yeah. I had a similar experience in London the other day. I, I got I got chatting to someone because um, I'm, I'm the idiot who talks to people in London because, you know, you shouldn't do that. He was an Australian uh, who'd literally come over and was, was, was travelling. And he just, like, I, I said hi, asked, 
I think he asked where the toilet was or something. We got chatting. Started working and he was just staring at me. So I was working and then he just kept laughing manically at me. <laughs> and luckily, Chloe rang me and I was like, I'm just going to pack up whilst I talk to you. <laughs> just going to carry on talking. Just It really freaks you out. Yeah. And it very rarely happens. But when it does, it makes you hyper aware that you are a woman in a city that no one really knows where you are, especially if it's dark or if it's nighttime. Mm-hmm. And not everyone is friendly. Occasionally you get that in the in a, I don't know, danger radar pings, doesn't it? Yeah, that instinct. Absolutely. 100%. I want to tell you this story that you don't have to include, but it's so funny. So um, a recruitment company years ago, again, years ago, um, all my stories are old. I need, I need more stories. Um, so this recruitment company invited me to this invite only exclusive dinner and I was like oh yes I'm totally going to this um and it was all it was literally called like how to get my women in cyber something like that but I was like sounds shit but free dinner at an exclusive club I'm going so I went I got there and it was winter but it was only like five o'clock or something but it was dark and this is in London and it was down an alleyway and the entrance to this exclusive club was literally like in an alleyway and it was like you know like where they try and make it look like it's just some random door oh like the speakeasy type bars it what there was no like sign so I was instantly like well this is really unnerving as a woman on my own going down an alleyway and just like opening a random door and hoping that that's the right address because my sat nav's crap went in and there was like this metal staircase going down like three floors so you couldn't have got in with like a wheelchair or if you were pregnant or anything like that <laughs> went down anyway had a nice evening eating my dinner you know we were having a chat we were genuinely nice and um I think there was me and one other woman there and it was supposed to be like a how to get women in cyber event and it was all men telling us how to get women in cyber that was nice um got up <laughs> to go to the toilet and I was like I can't find the ladies room Does anyone know where it is and this guy went and it was like the penny drops and he was like oh, there isn't one what this this it was like yeah this used to be a men's only members club so I was like well this feels really seedy mm. all of a sudden um so you'll have to go in the disabled toilet and I was like why is there a fucking disabled toilet yeah. lights down metal stairs but there's not a women's toilet like how are you gonna get a wheelchair <laughs> down there like, I was like I, don't, I genuinely don't understand why there's why there's a disabled toilet so yeah that's a use the disabled toilet for people that don't exist that are disabled it's very it was all very strange and I'm really not one of these like you know overly woke people that's gonna like get offended about everything but it's just like very it was just a very odd thing to do I had a good night it was nice so many things that they don't think about and actually sometimes it needs somebody to call that out for them for the penny to drop and go actually is the women's toilets is you know have we chose the right venue in the middle bottom of a dark alley <laughs> down three flights of stairs yeah in a <laughs> It was absolutely hilarious. Uh, it was, they've not done it maliciously, but they've just not done They tried, bless. <laughs> they did. They got some LinkedIn likes out of it, I guess. <laughs> so on that cheery note, obviously you, your, your career has gone from being employee to business owner. A, why did you set up that security company with the amazing name? And also what have you kind of learned now that you're the other side of the fence that you wish you'd known when you were starting out oh god that's such a good question loads so why did I start it so 
genuinely me and my business partner Stephen so he used to be my boss's boss so he was the director of security or some, some title some fancy title like that and hired me in as a senior at an MSSP I'd gone to a few other roles after that but then we sort of loosely kept in touch and we bonded over the fact that we saw so many bad business practices so we would go for a couple of drinks and moan about it we'd leave the office and we'd whinge about it and and we were just like what are we doing with all of these whinges and moans and if we were going to do it we would do it like this if we were to set up a business we'd do it like this we're basically creating a business plan on the back of a fag packet here in, in a pub and we just sort of went with it and then we just built the business out of those frustrations we spent our first year testing out different tools um, different open source products doing creating different services and then offering to deliver them for free for companies that we were quite friendly with just to see what their feedback was and see if we could improve that kind of thing so we spent our first year doing that and it was just really well received so we just kept doing it we're still, we're still doing it we're in our fifth year now I think you got through your fifth bag packet then <laughs> don't even smoke so I don't even know why I said that but yeah I should have said back of a napkin so what what have I learned that I wish I'd have known as an employee I, you know what I think I'm glad that as an employee I didn't know the stuff that I know now because I didn't have the stresses <laughs> that now keep me up at night I have definitely got more empathy now for my previous managers and I definitely think oh god I bet they hated me <laughs> oh my god yeah whereas at the time I was just like yes but I'm right and this is the way we need to do it and they'd be thinking yes she's right but that's not good for the bottom line or that's not good for this and now I'm seeing you know some of my employees their some of the comments they make I think yeah I would have definitely said that if I were in your shoes and then in my brain I'm thinking however yeah and then you have to think of things in a different way you almost have to play play devil's advocate to a previous version of yourself when you were an employee it's kind of a strange dynamic but I like it how have you found sort of going from being doer so to speak I'm sure you still deliver services but also managing others how has that sort of journey happened oh another really good and difficult question actually I think you know it's actually not been particularly hard I think because I've probably been easier than for a lot of people so there are there is competitors of ours that we've looked into or we've come across and the directors and owners have come from a sales background so they've identified a gap in the market and tried to shoehorn their product or services into it whereas we've built our skills in that market and we understand it and we're offering the solution to actual genuine problems rather than trying to shoehorn our way into something and highlight a problem to someone to sell them the the antidote to it we sort of exist in a realm where the connections we've made are people that have got the same problems that we experience therefore we know how to solve them does that make sense does that answer your question uh, the, from the products but how how have you found not so much as a service like your skills now like how have they developed now you're managing others in the team so my technical skills are every year they're waning for sure absolutely for sure um and that's because you know i'm creating skills in running a business well, you're learning so much more profit and loss business plans yeah profit and loss you know pseudo cmo all yeah. kinds of <laughs> five five dog titles it's fine um 
but my technical skills are waning but it's been an awesome start because it means the people we've bought in haven't been able to pull the wool over my eyes now they probably could <laughs> um it, it means as well that when the chips are down I can help on a technical level if someone's struggling with something because my sort of vision of what I'm doing now and service delivery is more senior yeah and more business focused that means that when I'm working with customers I'm aligning everything to the business rather than prioritizing security I know that sounds a bit backwards from someone working in the security industry but there's a big problem I think and I used to make this mistake before is we often look at cyber security and go right we need MFA um, we need to do vulnerability scanning we need to do this we need to do that we need to do this we, we do need all those things but sometimes in a business that can't afford it or it's lower risk or they just can't prioritize it at this time you have to think of creative workarounds and that's sort of the position my head's in right now with our clients so they'll work with the technical engineers on the technical engineering stuff and then when it comes to more strategy or how they work with the shit they've got how do they dig themselves out of the hole pragmatically that's where I can have more insight and input now because of running the business yeah and your skills have developed as part of that because of the experiences that you had I think going from technical into running your own company you both you and Stephen is a great blend of skills I would agree. how have you how have you found when when you've been hiring them do you look for mini Elizas do you look for mini Stevens do you look for God, no. Can you imagine I'm like fired get out <laughs> <laughs> she's an arsehole <laughs> <laughs> It's hard though, isn't it, to not like look for people or look for characteristics that you like in yourself. So, okay, yeah, I guess you're right there. So in terms of characteristics I like about myself is that I'm a hard worker and I'm never, I'm not the most talented at anything, but I will work anyone under the table. So if someone's better than me, that's fine. Kudos to them. I'll support them and I'll acknowledge it. But equally, it's going to drive me to stay in the office. We don't have an office, but previous, in previous roles, yeah. I'll stay there till the last train home or the last tube because I'm going to nail that fucking thing, right? Yeah. So that kind of mindset I like, we have hired some people into the company that have got that, but then they're not like me in other areas. So I also know that an approach like that to things means you can burn out. I don't want someone to burn out. I don't want to have to like deal with that time off and stuff. I mean, obviously I would, but um, what I mean is you have to recognize the positives in yourself and look for that, but also acknowledge that they come with a downside. And that is the downsides to being a workaholic are not something I want a full team of, but I'll happily have a couple of people. Um, we definitely find that in hiring, we don't struggle. And me and you have had this conversation before, and it's a bit of a weird one because um, we have a constant stream of CVs and applications a couple of times a week. We get emails through the website, through LinkedIn. I know I've noticed you're not hiring, but I wanted to send you this anyway. Could you keep it? And then, you know, that kind of thing. So we have that. And we have found as well that if we just put the word out, we tend to get um, get applicants of a, of a high quality we put um you know just I put a LinkedIn post out 
I think was it late last year or early this year saying we're looking for these skills in someone if you're interested get in touch that's literally it was like two lines and the caliber of people that we got was absolutely insane I was thinking I don't know how we're going to find someone that meets this bill and I actually reached out to you um, and then that same day I was like oh I just post this on LinkedIn and then it was like absolutely inundated um, we ended up doing interviews on weekends as well just because we had that many people and we narrowed it down to two people we could not decide because they were both awesome and both were different and then in the end we just hired them both so we created a role for one of them now that's that's a perfect example of you and your brand as a company is a positive brand people see you they know you you're at b-sides you're at most events you are active in the community ladies hacking society you you know you are everywhere I'm sorry for, you're like god damn it it's everywhere <laughs> yeah 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 this damn northern lass <laughs> And she didn't even know Kubernetes. <laughs> I bet that Texan is like, for fuck's sake. But it is, it's a perfect example of people do know who you are. People know who the business is. You've got really good a brand. If you were the company that doesn't have, you know, has one unisex toilet, that will also get out into the community with employer brands. I'm sure lots of people will know who that company is um, and not want to work there. Same as, same as... <laughs> Hopefully people aren't going to have ladies meetings, ladies meetings, whatever we want to call them. Let's have a ladies meeting. <laughs> Let's have a ladies, ladies lunch um, at the bottom of a three-storey dungeon. <laughs> it was a really swanky pub with like Chesterfields and all that kind of thing. And, and oh. I was like, oh, this is so nice. And it's got a masculine vibe. I like it. And then realised why. But yeah, No, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it it is a strange market and you can, you know, I, especially if you're hiring junior people, I tell people all the time, do those posts on LinkedIn, you'll get people who will come to you. But also you've then got to deal with, you need to have the time to do that. Because if you hadn't had the time to go back to 100 applicants or however many it was, people would be like, God, that lies there, I applied for a job and no one listened back. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get 100, but it was like, I mean, it was like a solid 20, 20 people. I thought it was a lot, really. But um yeah no I absolutely agree and I think with when it comes to junior people so that those ones that we ended up hiring were senior so um mm. we were also hiring juniors we filled our junior roles and we had a couple of senior roles we needed to fill and then we just couldn't find the right people so with when it comes to junior roles I just I think why not just take a chance so mm. I mean I'm, you're, I'm sure you're like a total advocate for that as well like if someone's you know looking at doing their own training whether they've paid for it or got it free online or whatever and they're studying in their own time that kind of thing those things speak volumes to me and if someone's junior and they are really pushing hard on their on their own career and their own brain I don't think they're going to be junior very long um no so yeah I'm totally on board with taking chances on on people when it comes to people that are junior to be honest the amount of people that say to me, um, we want somebody with the aptitude, we want somebody with self-study, you know, someone who's driven, somebody who's X, Y, Z, all of these are professional skills or impact skills, which is really hard to assess. But then what you kind of need to be aware of when you're hiring juniors, which I'm sure you got this, was you will have hundreds of applicants. How do you make your process inclusive so that those people with the aptitude, it, the CV might have nothing on it? They might have been a parent, and but they've been doing this in their own time. 
how do you make sure you don't miss those people so that's where doing some kind of assessment giving them a task to do write me your knowledge of xyz that's a fairer for juniors i think that's a fairer process than reviewing someone's cv which doesn't tell you out at all really no, I, no, I agree i think that's a really smart way of doing it so when it's come to junior roles we've not um we've not advertised for them we've looked at the ones that have sent us an application unwarranted and we've taken that as they're a go-getter i love that so yeah we want people that are just you know they go i want to work there they don't have a job available but i'm just going to fucking send them my cv anyway send them a covering letter meet that come up to me at a, at a conference and say can i just come and work for you guys can i do six months can i do some work experience that kind of thing we've hired a lot of those people yeah. um which has been really nice we also um we got a, a woman that i know from lhs she used to come to lady hacking society didn't work in cybersecurity was just genuinely interested in it um you know left her career had kids all that kind of thing and we just remembered her so then years later she got in touch and asked if she could come and do a like a sock role and we're like yeah let's give it a go if you don't work out you can fire him i just don't see what the problem is so seriously i, I don't like these multi-stage interviews for people at the junior oh no torturing them so when it's you know we're happy to if, if we know them personally and they are willing to work hard and we think that they've got the attitude we know that they've got the sense to do it we're happy to take a chance and we have done and we've got you know some really good people out of it that are progressing through the company to be honest yeah i think if somebody's happy to pick up the phone to you or pick up the phone or send an email and make that cold approach or come up to you at a conference that's what you want isn't it um 100 and i think more businesses need to look at that but then i suppose the challenge is if the roles aren't advertised you're not going to get the hundreds of responses sometimes advertising isn't the best way it's going out to the unis going out to caps lock going out to all those different sources going out to ladies packing society and seeing who's attending those meetups going out to the local b-sides that's the community and you know people there really want to work in the industry I've, i think there's also a lot to be said for even if you don't have a job available as an employer if you see something in someone at a conference or you know at, at a b-sides or whatever and you say look we're not hiring right now but we will be hiring in q3 for example would you be interested in speaking to us a lot of the time it's yes hell yes i'm happy where i am now but yes let's have it let's have that conversation in q3 so you're establishing that to people that you want that you will have an opportunity that you're offering to them in advance yeah not often but discussing with them in advance and that's kind of nice that kind of word gets around they might not be interested in a few months time but they will say hey i know this guy i can vouch for him i've worked with him blah blah, blah. would you be interested in talking to him so you kind of create your own network which you are well aware of um but a lot of companies aren't willing to do that i mean you see yourself we go to these events like b-sides and there's a meal after or there's a drink the night before and all that kind of thing and there's a lot of companies even ones that exhibit they just don't turn up because it's a vanity project it's not they're genuinely not engaged in the community and that's fine you don't have to be um but then they'll whine that they can't they've got they can't hire for these roles they can't well. find the staff yeah <laughs> just start i don't know maybe start a conversation with someone over a glass of wine or something yeah 
that's the the networking at conferences is where the real work happens yes you do need to be there you need to be present you don't necessarily have to be there as a vendor um but that's where if you really want to be hiring in the cyber community that's where you've got to be and if you really want to be in the cyber community that's where you've got to be and i've said b three times so i think that's an amazing place to end with my b and cyber podcast thank you so much for your time eliza Thanks. It was a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Sorry. Love it. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Be in Cyber podcast. That was Eliza May Austin. We plan to produce an episode the last Thursday of every month. If there's a story that you want to share or somebody that you'd like to hear from, please do get in touch at beincyber at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe.